There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom is built for your psychology and your biology, meeting you where you are. Noom Weight uses psychology. That's why they say losing weight starts with your brain. But it also takes into account your unique biological factors, which also affect weight loss success. The program helps you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have cravings. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Plus, check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available for pre-order wherever books are sold. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 43! Alright, so here's a quick little backstory on this episode that you probably don't need to know. Uh, This episode is Chris Anderson, the editor-in-chief of Wired Magazine. Uh, He's a terrific guy, and I've uh, I've been pals with him for a couple years. And this episode was recorded months ago. Um, It was actually the first episode that I recorded with the new Zoom H4N recorder. And what I didn't know uh, is that there's a certain setting that will kick your files into other folders uh, on on the little flash drive. So I recorded this, went home, and thought I lost it. I thought I hadn't recorded anything. And uh, it wasn't until a couple days ago that I was sifting through the H4N, and I went, uh, oh, what do these other folders contain? Uh, Lo and behold, the Chris Anderson podcast. So uh, this is a public apology to Chris. This was literally recorded like five months ago. So I found it, and I'm putting it up uh, as quickly as I possibly could. So here it is, uh, the Nerdist Podcast number 43 with Chris Anderson. Uh, Also, if you're going to be in Austin, Texas, uh, I will be performing at Fun 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 Fest on November 4th. Then November 11th through the 14th, I'll be at Laughing Skull in Atlanta. And then uh, the 18th through the 21st, I'll be at the Addison Improv in Addison, Texas. All right, that's enough talking. Uh, Poor Chris Anderson has been put off long enough. Here you go. Chris Anderson. Now entering Nerdist.com. This is just sort of a loose chat, really. It's, um, you know, we'll probably come... Well, I'll just... I I made a list of jumping off points, but it really... My podcast is very, very loose and conversational. And it's weekly? It's weekly, yeah. Although sometimes I'll put up a bonus episode because a lot of times with with guests that I get, I I record when they can record. So, like, if John Hamm can do one day, it's not like I can go, well, in a month I'll get you. So I've stockpiled quite a few. All right. And what's it called? It's called The Nerdist. The Nerdist, good. The Nerdist podcast. 
I have a nerdier podcast than you. <laughs> Did, is there a DIY drones podcast? There is. Well, that that is. Well, I was going to ask when, and I, and I apologize for asking this question because I'm sure it's irritating if you are in the UAV biz. When when did when did UAVs shift from just being remote control planes? Is that more of like a Radio Shack oh, toy? Oh, we, um, well, I mean, you know, in World War II, we had UAVs that were a drone, uh, were, were target planes, mm-hmm. and those were all radio controlled. Um, the uh, the notion of autonomy um, kicked in. Um, I think you know in the nineteen the late nineteen eighties. So the first autonomous UAVs were cruise missiles. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, in the late nineteen eighties, um, that you know the first experimental autonomous UAVs uh, that had uh, you know reconnaissance missions were were developed. And then it kind of you know the nineteen nineties were the beginnings of the sort of the, the you know the big scale military applications, sort of the World War One aviation right. period of, of UAVs, but. Um, um, for the hobbyist community, um, you know the the amateurs, uh, the first you know the first broadly available autonomous vehicles, um, you know, uh, you know uh, fully autonomous you know, with navigation etc. probably kicked in around um, ten years ago, I guess mm-hmm. maybe maybe uh, you know early two thousands. Now I don't know if uh, were you at Maker Fair this year? I was. You've got. You were probably the only uh, magazine editor who was also at Maker Fair uh, this year, displaying stuff like not just uh-huh, not yeah. just there as a as I was, I was on my knees um, uh, trying to inflate a uh, robotic blimp, and uh, you know as I was sitting there and it was like you know, it was like they, they opened a ten and the freaking thing I my the helium got you know the, the nozzle got, got 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 blocked and I was. I had somebody holding it so it wouldn't fly away while I was trying to put stickers on it, and I'm surrounded by my tank fell over. <laughs> and um, Dale Doherty, who runs Maker Fair, you know, comes by as I'm there, and he's like, he's like, ha, he's like, the grim realities of running a small business. And it, I realized that, it, that 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 this was true. That um, that you know, in a sense, all everybody at Maker Fair is running a small business. Mm-hmm. And running a small business is about being on your knees, you know, trying to get the helium to go into the, you know, the blimps so you can put up your displays. You do, you do everything. You're the janitor, right? And in my day job, of course, I'm, you know, not, we're, we're a more mature industry, <laughs> and I'm not the janitor. But um, in, you know, in the in the new industrial revolution, you know, everybody sweeps the floor. I love I love Maker Fair, although I can never figure out like what the it's like. Burning Man to Nerdcraft ratio is like there's that sort it's, of it's moving it moves around a bit. Um, you know, I would say that the um, you know the, the Burning Man crowd was in evidence this year um, because the Burning Man crowd brings theatrics, right? You know, belch fire belching and you know moving stuff and steampunk opera and all this kind of stuff. And so the the kids the kids were kind of one of the themes this year. And so entertainment was was uh, you know was was required. They had the uh, Diet Coke Mentos guys, although they're not the Coke Zero Mentos guys, which is annoying. That is weird. Yeah, I mean they're lovely guys, and they came by and they signed a little nozzle for uh, for me, which I brought home. Um, but uh, anyway, the Coke Mentos guys were there, and uh, OK Go was there. Um, but it did it did it did mean that a lot of the kind of um, charismatic, theatrical, sculpture esque stuff that the Burning Man is known for uh, was on display, and as a result, and, and because it's so much bigger and now professional, um, that uh, a lot of the little guys got kind of crowded out. Oh, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, um, but you know, this was ever thus, right? I mean, you know, um, the Homebrew Computing Club, you know, turned into Circuit City, and you know, then the hackers had to go somewhere else. And that's true. Uh, I think this is this is kind of one of the costs of of success is that you know as you mainstream the 
you know, the, the 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 fringe goes elsewhere. The hacker spaces, the you know, the the dojo. There's gonna there's 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 gonna be a slam dance maker fair. At some at some points, like some sort of rebellious. You know, and, but it's not going to be Maker Fair. I mean, it's going to be it, it's it's you know it's is is the long tail of everything. You know that that you know as you know you're never there's a place for the super focused, super geeky, fringy subcultures, and um, you know I, I think this has got to be the you know this, this is one of those cycles of culture that yeah. when subcultures become cultures, they need to create their own. They need to create a new generation of subcultures that reject. You know, that go elsewhere. They're not just forced out. Seriously, like, seek- how long were we using the term alternative music? And it's like, this music is not alternative anymore. Like, it's not, it's technically that's the label that's stuck because we don't know what else to call it, but it is not alternative to pop anymore. There was, I remember as, as an anecdote, it's a few years old now, that um, uh, there was a, a, um, an 8-bit, you know, chiptune community. Mm-hmm. Uh, making sort of you know using Nintendo's. Um, we have one. The, the my, my theme song of the podcast is by a chip rock band called okay. Anamanaguchi. Yes, I'm familiar. So 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 you know in their quest for authentic authenticity and sort of you know, true street cred, they uh, not only declined to release a CD um, and declined, but they also declined to release MP3s or to stream. And the only oh. way you could get the music was um, via a, a seven inch flexi disc. Uh-huh. Um, and it turned out, you know, it turned out there was only one factory in the world that makes seven inch. Remember flexi discs, the ones that were in magazines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any on them? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I had, I, I had one at the the Bloom, when the Bloom County book came out. They published a song that Bill the Cat supposedly sang, and so I had that. It sounded horrible. It sounded horrible, and they were always bent, and you really did need to put a succession of coins on top of them to keep them from to keep the needle from bouncing off them. But so this band, this band, you know, only these bands, I think, only released in seven inch flexi discs because you know if you had heard. If you could, if you if you had heard the song, you were one of those chosen three hundred mm-hmm. who had actually gotten their hands on the physical, on the physical product, and so this sort of you know um, enforced you know a, a obscurity through distribution barriers to entry mm-hmm. um, is is the uh, sort of the, uh, the the requirement of cool in an age when everybody can get everything. Yeah, and it's it's funny because in a way it's sort of like oh we're being rebellious, and it's like well wh- what you really you're, you're conforming to nonconformism in a sense. You know what I mean? Like the velvet roping of it all, that's a tactic. You know, it's, that, that, that's, it feels like sort of a, a popularity tactic. It is. I mean, this is the, uh, you know, the, when I was a kid, you wanted to wear the, the cool T-shirt. Now, you know, the T-shirt that, like, like, you know, everybody else wore. Now you want to wear a T-shirt that nobody else understands. <laughs> if you can understand my T-shirt, I failed. Right. Yeah, it's almost like naming a thing. Like, if you can name something, you understand it. Like, oh, I know what that shirt is referencing. Like, ah, it's crap. Over. It's yeah, over. it's all over. My seven-year-old, uh, you know, uh, told me in, um, I believe, September of last year that Lady Gaga was, was over. Whoa! And I'm not actually sure she knew who Lady Gaga was, mm-hmm. um, but someone had mentioned Lady Gaga, and she knew that the instinctive when you hear something, something new, you must immediately say that it's over. Right. That's that's what seven year olds know. There's no there's no present. There's only a past and a future. Like, <laughs> exactly. There's no precisely. It's like there's got to be a Heisenberg uncertainty principle. If you can, if you, <laughs> the if minute you can, you can, if you can observe it, it's over. The minute you <laughs> the minute you measure Lady Gaga, you have destroyed the experiment of Lady Gaga. Schrodinger's pop star has died. <laughs> Schrodinger's Gaga. We put Lady Gaga in a box. She's either dead or she's either hot or she's not. She's obscure or she's dead. Yeah. She's, <laughs> obscure she said <laughs> so have we started yeah 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 we've started a while ago I, I'm pretty sure we're still recording yeah yeah, yeah. I, this is a new recording device that I'm using and, and it, I actually really like it a lot it sounds pretty good um, 
But uh, I, I obviously, I mean, I technically have been working for you for the last couple of years after we did the Wired Science TV show. And then I started contributing to the magazine, which has been super, super fun. Um, is this and the brown nose portion of the show? This is the brown nose portion of the show. If you could just spread those cheeks a little farther, I'll really get in there. But uh, but honestly, but what the thing that was funny to me is that we we did this TV show, and you famously do not own a television set. That's actually a lie. Oh, it is. Okay. I famously say I don't own. Television. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Um, uh, the it, the truth is, is you know, that it, it's hard to even define what a television set is anymore. Yeah. We own screens. You have screens that have data on them. We have screens that have pictures on them, mm-hmm. and those pictures, those moving pictures, you know, sometimes include television programming. Um, they're not live, you mm-hmm. know, but they're all that come by the internet or DVDs or things like that. But um, I think it's getting increasingly hard to say that you don't watch television. It's hard to say you don't own a television set anymore. It really, it really is, and and I'm trying to figure out. I mean. May- I don't know. Maybe I'm starting to already show signs of old personism. But when people say, you know, like with Google TV or that may be coming out, and you know, like, oh, you know, we're going to integrate the the television and the and the web experience, and I always feel like I don't want those two things integrated because I like the way I consume television in a different way that I consume my web experience and I don't I mean you know we've been able to you've been able to you know uh, use your television as as you know you can hook your computer up to your television and you right. can and I don't like that experience like I like them separate like that do you, am I crazy or do you think no, yeah, I, I don't know whether you're crazy because I, I think that probably is where I draw the line um, you know we have so basically you know we have screens around the house and the screens are connected to Xboxes. By, by and large, and those Xboxes do things, and sometimes those things are games, and sometimes those things are playing DVDs, and sometimes those things are uh, um, you know, time-shifted um, video content kind of was streamed over various ways, and, and sometimes they're Netflix streaming movies, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I you know, I, I, some of those things originated in broadcast television, some of them never never did, some of them originated on the internet, some of them originated as, as, as films, you know, I don't. These semantic distinctions are, are the horseless carriage era, where we where we where we have this language from the last generation. They haven't come up with the language from the next generation. You know, our, my kids basically sort of say, well, there's like you know, there's basically, um, you know, uh, moving pictures that I control, moving pictures that I don't control. Right. You know, the first category is games, and the second category is produced content of various <laughs> sorts. And In the old days, web pages were just text. They, they, you know, they, these, they, they would say, um, uh, you know, they would say, I mean, they're addicted to screens. That's what they say. We're addicted to screens. And they'll pretty much gravitate to any screen anywhere. And they'll do what, with the screen what they, what, 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 what they can. And if they can, if they can push at it and make stuff happen, they'll totally do that. If they can't push at it and it's just going, then they're okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, um, but uh, by and large, this, um, you know, this, 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 you know, I think in the same way that's impossible to wall out pop culture, you know, today is kind of is kind of around us. I think it's probably impossible to not watch television. Yeah. Um, you know, you thought you were one, you were, you were watching, you thought you were visiting fail blog, but in the end, it turned out you were watching television. Right, right, right. There's a lot of fail blog on television uh, right now, but I'm trying to figure out if we, they, you know, they recently did the study and they, 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 they. According to the study, they feel that college kids today are less empathetic than the previous generation. And do you think there's some, you know, because people are so, you know, we're so interactive with our devices and so just kind of in our own little worlds that uh, that we're not as empathetic as a culture anymore, like the next generation you know, of people? I, I, I'm, I'm really loath to... A, you know, have have a strong opinion about this, or and, and more more to the sense, more to the point, B, 
um, subscribe to the you know to the notion that you know that 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 um, you know technology has uh, has undermined our our you know our our, our humanity. Um, you know, I I think what happens is first of all generational differences are, you know, the kids these days you know right. rock and roll do the same thing. I'm sure. Um, you know, generational differences are, 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 are much more profound than technological differences. Um, you know, and there, there, there's, I think, you know, uh, uh, Nick Carr has a new book out called The Shallows, um, which um, I'm generally resistant to the notion that the Internet makes you stupid. Um, and, you know, I, but I'm willing to accept the notion that the Internet makes you think different. And um, Nick Carr's book, which I was originally disinclined to agree with, I actually found quite compelling. And what he argues in the book is that um, um, the web in particular, and let's not call the web the end states of the digital mm. era, but the, the, the web is the current state of the digital era. Um, the web has developed, you know, has developed in a, in its personality. And its personality is the sort of the, um, um, you know, basically 16 tabs, you know, 30 second session time, you know, sort of thing. There's mm-hmm. definitely a multitasking sort of, a, you know, ADD component to it. It's just the, the you know, it's by virtue of infinite access to an ultimate, you know, to, to, to an unlimited amount of content and distractions, it ends up to be atomized and, and, um, and, and, and relatively, uh, you know, non-immersive. Um, what he argues is that's training us to focus on the superficial. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it is it, the plasticity of our brain, and you can measure this, actually. It, the, the web is changing our brains, and it is... It is it is yeah, evolving our you know connections or synapses and, 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 and neurons to focus on shiny 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 you right know, the 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 momentary distractions um, and um, in a sense you know there does seem to be some neuroscience that says that we are becoming more ADD as a result now whether that leads to less empathetic I'm not sure I would say the web has made me more empathetic. Um, because the consequences of my bad actions are now incredibly evident to me. Right. I mean, you know, when I look, you know, as I as I kind of, you know, have more and more of a public persona, and you know, I mean, just before we started, I was, I was uh, checking my Twitter feed to see whether I was being mocked for saying something <laughs> for saying something wrong, um, and um, uh, and I mean, I'm now sort of, you know. Now, you know, in the old days, I could behave badly and then sort of, you know, walk off, you know, feeling smug. Um, without really thinking about the consequences. Yeah. Now the consequences of bad behavior are right in my face. You know, that's funny. I, whenever I'm watching Mad Men, I just like, well, of course he could screw whoever he wants. Like there, there's no one. There's no cameras. There's no. There's no information network. Like there's no G- Gawker's, anything. Gawker's not going to out him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No one. No one's. No one's going to find out anything in this world unless you tell them because that's that was that was their information channel. You know, the the upside of no privacy is that the incentive to lead a blameless life has never been greater. <laughs> or or at least just be more careful about guarding uh, the the whatever I give you're up trying on to protect. Yeah, no, I I'm, I I'm going to go with the lead a blameless life. Um, I am I'm so glad by the way that you admit to still kind of I mean, I even I mean, I've been online since you know the early days of of commercial of chat rooms. I mean, I had you know like one of those original AOL accounts, and you know I remember even back then kind of going on to be like, oh, are people watching what I'm doing on television? This is like 1994, mm. and uh, and and being burned by it because you know. It's it's just it's easy you know like you you see you can see ten positive things and one negative thing and you'll be like negative thing I know, you know? and it's, I mean it's, is the ratio even as even as low as that I mean I would say it's like you know all day long I'll have like 
hundreds of positive, productive encounters. And, you know, when I go home at night, the one I'm stewing about is that jerk. You know, that, that jerk who didn't like my iPad. <laughs> who who probably just dismiss. You know, I, I get frustrated with the kind of dismissive nature where, you know, like, even I'm doing, I, I'm doing a, I did a bonus podcast for WWDC mm. that was an addition to the regular weekly podcast because I know that not everyone's an Apple fan. Right. And so some guy wrote something like, Oh, you know, now you're just gonna suck Steve Jobs' dick in your podcast, and like, and it was so dismissive, just like you don't have to listen to it, guy. You know, like, <laughs> come know, on, come on, we're grown ups. Yeah, everybody knows we're still falling for this. I mean, it, it's you know, my, my, uh, this is why we get married, so that someone, someone, someone saner than us can tell us to get to just don't be silly and ignore those jerks. Yeah, um, and so I mean, you know, this, you know. You know, really, I mean, I, I can tell you that, you know, the guys who said, you know, um, who, who say, you know, I do something and then someone will just say, like, you know, you know, that sucks. Yeah. You know, and it's and it's like, but, 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 but you know, it's like, you know, I, I, I turn into this this, this 12-year-old. Are you, are, you, are you a Bill Hicks fan at all? I, 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 I mean, I'm not a not fan. I'm, I'm not sure. Bill, Bill Hicks is a, Bill Hicks was this, this kind of revolutionary voice in comedy. Like, he, he died a long time. He died I really see. young um, of, uh, of cancer. He's probably been dead for 12 or 14 years but um, anyway when there was this comedy boom in the 80s and the early 90s and everyone was doing jokes about you know ladies going to the bathroom in groups Bill Hicks was out touring America and basically just saying like you know uh, he was he was doing the kind of stuff that today would still be considered edgy America's fat America's stupid but not just you know like yeah. he was he actually had jokes but um, he it's online but he, he famously became unhinged uh Specifically, because some woman just said something like "you suck," yeah. and just the the idiotic, sim- the, just the you know, because there was no regard whatsoever. It's so dismissive. He unloads on her, like <laughs> drops the c bomb like fifteen times, and just like get her, get her the fuck out of here and screaming, and yeah, it's amazing. You know, there's uh, there's something we should we should we should think about this because you know why is it? I mean, we are mature, mm-hmm. evolved, developed people. But why is it that something, you know, a schoolyard taunt, you know, like that gets us in the way that a kind of a logist, logical deconstruction of our hard work wouldn't? And I, I think it's, I think it's that, this, the, the, the intrinsic unfairness of the, of the kind of ad hominem attack. It brings out this I'm being bullied, right. you know, sense. And I just want to punch someone in the nose. You know, I think, I think part of it is, I think it, I think it hits... I think it just hits one of those ancient brain structures, and it just go, it wires right around your higher brain functions, and you you sort of feel like, I think it's it's just about like a tribe acceptance thing, and you're sort of like, but wait, I'm working so hard, you know, like like this is the perfect. What have you done? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, sucks in what way? Tell me more. Yeah, come on, seriously. <laughs> you know, so my my friend um, my friend uh, Mike made this uh, this Photoshop picture that. It got passed around a lot, but it was basically um, from a fart contest, uh, which was, you know, put your favorite movie in a different time period. Mm. So he took this painting of the Ascension of Christ and put in the Ghostbusters behind him, trapping Christ in the proton beams. Nice. And he called it Ghostbusters 0 B.C. And all those people were like, technically that would have been 33 B.C. Uh And, And it drove him crazy because you realize the internet, the web, is effectively... You know, if you imagine you have an adopted kid and his adopted mother and the kid says, I love you, mom, the web is the guy that leans in and goes, it's not really your mom, you know. You're like, why do you have to do that? Which is what we created, the world's greatest platform for pedants. 
<laughs> it really is. But I but I also wonder if, and this is sort of branching off the the free the, the free idea. Mm. Um, from the book that you wrote, Free. I take it all back. You take it all back, it's all gone now. Uh, is, are we, are we now a culture of spoiled babies? Like, because people, when people react that way so dismissively to free content. I know. Oh, especially have, to free content. Have we, are, are we spoiled because now people are like, oh, well, that's dumb. Really? Because you didn't pay anything for it. And, you know, is, is, is attention the new currency because they're, they feel like they're paying for it with their time? You know, the, the one, you know, this is obviously something I've thought a lot about, but, you know, the, the one sort of astounding lesson that I've learned is that, is that you know, people will, you know, will always look a gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> um, and the sense of, uh, you know, the sense of entitlement, you know, so, so like, for example, I mean, the, by the way, you know, Obviously, this is so common that we should, rather than rail and shake our fist against it, we should probably understand what's going on. But um, you know, when I released um, the book free, it was it was free, mm-hmm. uh, as, as you might imagine. Um, but because of publishing rights and contracts, etc., that there's geographic exclusives. So I um, so I worked with my publisher when we had the U.S. installments, um, um, and we so we made it free. But um, uh, it, you know, uh, but we, but we, it couldn't be free outside the United States. And um, so, you know, the uh, Brazilians are like, you know, went apoplectic. <laughs> and so if you look at the sort of the Google Books or the Scribd thing, it's basically hundreds and hundreds of comments um, calling me a hypocrite because it's not free in Brazil or it's not free in, in, you know, in, in Italy. And, you know, and, 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 you know, I mean, I, for the first, like, like, 20 of them I'm responding I was like I'm so sorry but this is the way the publishing industry works and I can't you know etc but at the end of the day just people just you know I just decided to, decide to let, them, let them rant but it, but what you realized is that um, is that there is absolutely no um, allowance given for the um, you know for you know for, for the generosity of your act or the work you put into it or anything like that boy that, that's an interesting point maybe that's what it is that we're so we're so because we're such a niche uh, culture now, and you can get anything you want exactly the way you want it. Maybe that's what it is. People, people get, people just kind of get dismissive because they expect everything to fit exactly what they want. When it doesn't, they're just like, "eh, fuck that thing." Well, I, I think it's not. I think it's not free. I think. I think. I think what you were getting at initially, which is that the non-monetary, you know, um, uh, um, uh, assets matter more. So what people, what people object to, um, and we do this all the time, right? So we we give we I have an open source. Hardware company, we do we do robotics and um, drones and things like that, and um, uh, we give away everything for free. And because it's open source, we let people sort of permute it in all sorts of different ways mm-hmm. and make variations in different hardware, um, which turns out to be the worst thing you can do if you're trying to remain sane. Because what you what you have is because you give people freedom to use it in different ways, they will find a inevitably they will find combinations you've never seen before and it'll break. Mm-hmm. And so you have this tech support nightmare. Oh. And and you know and when people come to you they 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 say um, you know I have this sort of you know um, this uh, you know this, this 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 GPS module I bought in Vietnam and it's just not working with your autopilot what are you gonna do about that <laughs> and you know my first instinct is like shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know what are you kidding me with this I mean you know this is the recommended hardware you use something crazy stuff but that's the wrong answer. 
you know, the code is ID10T. Thank you. <laughs> God, to solve that one. Um, but uh, the, you know, the, the the right answer is that you, on some sense, you have to create the incentives for them to, you know, channel their question. You know, the community needs to answer it for them, or the community needs to respond to them, or that you need to create a framework by they, which they can solve it. But this is, you know, just saying. But it's free, and we you didn't use our. You know, you just got to get over it, and you got to solve the problems. It's not going away. You know, it's amazing, and you know, like you, you just. You, like everyone else, you're a guy. You have things you like. You want to be able to share stuff with the world. And I'm sure, you know, you know, when you're younger and you feel like, oh, if I ever get a billion dollars, I'll just give $500 million to ch- or whatever. And then you realize when you start dealing with people en masse... You have to become a politician. Like you can't just you can't just be that guy that you were. You really have to get patient and and kind of you know because most people will be nice, but then a lot of people will just burrow right under your skin. I, I, it's it's um, you know now that I, you know so it, I went from sort of like you know um, you know um, I talk you listen to you know public figure a little bit of you know blogs twitters and that stuff. And now I run a community. Um, and, you know, what I realized is the job of community manager. I mean, so I thought the job of community manager was, you know, carrot stick, carrot stick, you know, punish uh-huh. bad behavior, you know, et cetera. And there is an element of that. But by and large, my job is, is, is Craig and Craigslist. My job is to, is to be nice to everybody, uh-huh. encouraging whenever possible to never lose my temper to to um, you know to to you know when I hear that same question for the you know the, the ten thousandth time to be as generous and and it's like you know they say everything I need you know, learn life I learned in in, in 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 kindergarten no I mean these are you know all those sort of you know golden rule laws that you're supposed to have learned when you were a kid um, you learn the hard way as a community mm-hmm. manager because anytime you violate anytime you you break the law and you're a little bit rude to someone not only are they wounded. Um, and you know because you did it in public because you have this instinct to do things in, in, in public, but they then turn into an enemy, mm-hmm. and as a result, they will then they will then um, endeavor <laughs> infect to the see community your demise, <laughs> yep. and they will and they will and and, and you know it's, it's just weird watching it's it's you know it's weird watching these people turn into kind of professional opponents. Mm-hmm. Their job they are now a troll. You've made them into a troll, and they're going to make your life hell. Yeah, and you know I can count on. Everybody, you know, this is this is by the way, we're getting this is getting a little deep, but you know, what are the lessons of history? You know, when you disrespect a community, you know, name your community, you know, but some some you know some subculture, the you know you know the Pakistanis in the UK or whatever, and when you say, oh well, they don't matter, I can you know this one won't matter, I can be a little rude to this one, right? You will pay the price, right? Um, it doesn't go away. It comes back, and so sooner or later they will be empowered, and they're going to make your life miserable. And so this is, you know, I mean, maybe if anything, you know, we're we're learning this kind of incredibly important, you know, sort of you know universal um, truth, which is that, which is that, you know, in a world where everyone's empowered and everyone has a megaphone, um, there is no subgroup that you can mistreat. Right, which I think is, and it, I think is very good. The 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 other side of it, though, is that. Um, I think because, because a lot of times, if if you if you're nice to people, um, well, whether or not you're nice to them, I don't think they realize how they're coming off when they come at you. Mm. And so, if you respond rudely, their kind of reaction is, "What the fuck did I do?" Like they didn't see the tweet that was like, "Hey, asshole, why did you?" You know, like some guy. Um, I do I do a show called Web Soup on G4. It's a spinoff of the Soup, and one time they aired. Uh, my show in place of 
Joel McHale's show. So what I got was tweets from people like, hey, asshole, the next time you decide to put your show... And and so I wrote back to one of these guys, and I was like, what the fuck's your problem? The guy's like, what do you mean? (laughs) He totally didn't see how he was... Okay, so let me ask you a question. So this is is the the tactical dilemma of, of, of the modern day, which is respond or not. So, um, uh, you know, if you put up a Google alert to you know, see mentions of you, you will see a fair smattering of, 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 of jerks. I did that at one time and took it, took it down. I took it down. Um, but, you know, just looking at your at replies, yeah. you'll see a fair smattering of jerks. Um, um, ignore or, um, or, you know, so, so the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the virtue of ignoring it is that um, you're not feeding the trolls, right? Um, and you don't go crazy. Mm-hmm. The virtue of responding is that you, you know, you turn your lemons and turn them into lemon, mm-hmm. take your lemons and turn them into lemonade. That you have an opportunity to kind of win over people one at a time. Um, but you know, they're 24 hours in the day. Which, which, which do you do? It's not. I don't. It's not as black and white for me. Um, I, I, I really feel like, and this is a little more time intensive. It's a case by case basis. Yeah. And it's easy to say. Because a lot of times when people are writing shitty things, you're not really the thing they're they're mad at. Mm. They're upset about. They're just unhappy about something else in general. They stumbled across your thing, and that was the thing that popped their angers it. And they right. come without thinking. They quickly come at you. Douche. Exactly. <laughs> and I think you know. I think I think there's something in our biology. We you know we're obviously wired to connect to people eye to eye. And so when you're staring at text. You forget you're talking to a human being, yeah. and so they—I think it just comes off like, "Oh well, I'm just throwing this at a robot that is that has no feelings." Right. So, keeping that in mind, if I see if someone writes, you know, "Hey, you're a douchebag, and I hope you die in a car fire," block, which is the most gorgeous feature tw- Twitter has. Block, fine. You don't have to deal with me. I don't have to deal with you. Yeah. Um, if someone. If someone comes at me with a criticism that is a kind of a good point, or or at least I can answer quickly, like, oh well, I don't control the network, so I can't say what shows get put on. I will direct message them and give and give them one one tweet to see to see how they respond. Just to interrupt at that at, at that point. I mean, Twitter's of course completely broken in that respect because there's the then terms they don't follow you. Right. And then what are you can respond in public. No, most of the time I don't. I I won't respond in public because it just. Because then if you put it on the public timeline, then people are like, what's that? And yeah. then you've created a thing. A little audience for your, your jerk. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to have people, um, if they have a real, real problem, I, I say, well, email me, you know, like, and kind of make your case. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just kind of generic sort of douchey comments like, you know, this other show is better than your show. All right, what, what are we, we going to do? Try to convince that guy? Like, he's yeah. made his choice. He kind of wanted to take a shot at me. It's fine. Like, I'm on television, and I should be able to take that. I, I'm, I'm coming around to the, to, to the sense that there's sort of, you know, the factual errors, and I feel like I, I should respond to those. Those are and good. And there's disagree, opinions. Yeah. And I'm just not going to respond. Because most of the time, I think they just, you know, the easiest way to... And, 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 and knowing this, I still play into it, and it sounds like you do too sometimes... They just do it to get your attention so right. that, that you can engage them so that it gives them some significance. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I have a hard time letting factual errors hang out there. You, they can spread. That's, the factual errors, is, I think, is a, totally, is a totally different thing. And for someone like you who runs a magazine and you run a community that is very math-based, yeah. you kind of have to play whack-a-mole with those. For yeah. me, you know, I, I host a television show. It's like, you know, even, this, even the stuff I write for Wired is... 
a lot of it's kind of editorial. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's if someone says, hey, that's dumb, then it's like, well, then we have different opinions. Yeah. You know, the math doesn't have to check out for me. So I feel like you're in a much different situation from that standpoint. Well, my, my you know, what I, I spent a lot of time just, you know, it's, it's, it's just like children. You know, it's like sleep on it. Mm-hmm. Count to ten. Yeah. Sit on your hands. Yeah. Bite your tongue. I mean, I, I spent a lot of my time telling myself, do not respond. Yeah. Do not respond. Just, ugh. Um, and uh, my, wife's, my wife laughs at me. And when I, when I said, someone was mean to me on the internet. <laughs> like, why do you even read this stuff? That, those are the exact, it's the exact same thing my girlfriend, my girlfriend says to me. But, you know, and, and it's, it's funny because exactly like you said, I feel like, you know, we're, we're evolved guys. We know how it works. We totally know how digital culture works. We get it. We've been on the web a long time. And yet there's some dumb emotional thing that happens. Have you ever... Um, so I dream sometimes. Of, when you take someone who's just completely vicious. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm sounding very sort of uh, bruised, but I'm not. But we, this is the way the conversation went. Yeah. I mean, if you take something some, some really, really vicious, I mean, kind of, you know, complete, you know it's, it's just like they went above the sort of you suck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and got personal. And then you, I had this dream of sort of like finding them and confronting <laughs> them. Not punching them in the nose, but just sort of saying, here I am. Yeah. T- tell me more. Have you ever actually encountered somebody who was horrible to you online and, you know, just brought up that you'd read it and seen it and watched them respond? Um, I've ne- I don't feel like I've ever met anyone in person where I've said, hey, I saw that, that thing that, that you wrote. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I sort of have those – I sort of have those – kind of fantasy sometimes where you're like it would be nice just to see someone face to face so you could say like I'm a person you're a person I'm not looking for an apology I just want to know why why did you write that <laughs> you know I, I, I it, you know what I, I can tell you it's not it's not you it's not you it's not you specifically like whatever they saw about you just tipped it at that point because you know when you when you think of someone who's happy and healthy yeah. they just don't do things like that because it doesn't mm-hmm. occur to them to do things like that unless you're talking about you know like you know, you wrote a you wrote a political article that right. really touched some core belief that they had. Yeah. But you know, but 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 UAVs and television shows. I mean, those those don't necessarily hit the core beliefs. Like those are those are those are preferences. Yeah. You know, so for someone to flip out over something like that, they're they're unhappy. So if you take any solace from it, know that they're fucking miserable. <laughs> you oh, know? good. <laughs> but I know. I mean, you know, we, it's. I, I'm I, I'm glad that we're talking about this because, you know, I feel like I feel like everyone kind of I'm sure a lot of people feel that way and they don't you know they are a little ashamed to admit it but it's true it's like it's it, it is it is what it is yeah we, I, I just cannot believe that after all this time I'm you know still not more thick skinned and uh, you know I, the, the the truth is I'm you know the. Um, uh, uh, we must we, here we are you know it's 2010 we've managed to survive 20 years of the web yeah. you know we must have found some coping strategy but that sort of you know the, uh, the, uh, the you know the, the power of the negative comment versus the positive comment the total discounting we discount all positive comments as empty flattery and praise well also because you know I assume you're a civil guy and you would never go up to someone and I feel, I feel like we equate tweets emails we equate that as walking up to someone's face and going you're a f- fucking idiot and you know like and and you can never imagine yourself doing that to someone because you feel like it just violates every convention of civility that we have and so you kind of go how in the fuck you know but it 
I don't. I just don't think you know. I, I would grade it on a curve. Give yourself a letter grade. Oh, hey, eighty okay. percent today. I got eighty percent today from the internet. Twenty percent shit on me, but I still got a B. So that's good. So we started with that. You started with this question about sort of you know um, you know wither the kids and all that. But um, you know, I, I I think that we are um, in an intermediate stage, adolescent juvenile stage of. of, of of the digital era, um, we, um, you know, despite the fact the web is 20 years old and the internet is 40 years old, um, you know, the, uh, we basically have one generation that's just gotten to kind of, you know, young adulthood um, or uh, adulthood, adulthood um, in the broadband era. Um, so we don't really know where this is going. My suspicion is that the web, the web will be seen, you know, 40 years from now as, you know, as I mean, not quite AOL, mm-hmm. um, but it will be seen as kind of, you know, was not the end state by, by any means. And, you know, we see these very, you know, 30% of the internet traffic is the web and shrinking. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these other, you know, sort of gated communities, for lack of a better word. There's, you know, there's the iPad apps, which we were talking about. There's the Facebooks, there's the Twitters, there's, a, there's the Xbox Lives, etc. All of them are not the web on, on, on some level. And each one of them has their own social conventions. And some of them are ADD and some of them are totally immersive. Um, as like in the case of video games or, or, or iPad apps. And so I, I suspect that there's two things going on. First of all, there's probably three things going on. First of all, you know, you know the, the broadband generation will get older and they'll mature and, you know, they'll learn social, new social norms and probably become less ADD. Um, uh, two, a... Um, you know, a, uh, a, 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 a you know another generation is 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 coming up that is not necessarily going to going to you know sort of be as um, as, as seduced mm-hmm. by the, uh, the the attractions of the screens the way the way the way we were. And third, I think we're gonna you know we're gonna see that the that you know that uh, maybe for the just to deal with the fact that you know this is kind of a broken social model for many of us. We're gonna come up with these with with other non-web. Um, you know, uh, things on that take more of our time that don't necessarily have this kind of, you know, sim- asymmetry problems. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily expose us to so much, so much bruising. We're going to select our communities that sort of satisfy our positive things. And we see this, <laughs> we, we see this all the time. That, that, we're going to gentrify that, our own web well, communities. Well, yeah, we're going to gentrify. <laughs> our, you know, we, we, we find that community, positive communities grow and negative communities splinter, fragment, and, and mm-hmm. shrink. And so on some sense, this may just be a Cambrian explosion where, where you know, you know, the, you know this, is, this is a billion different species have, have, have you know, have, have flourished, et cetera. But, you know, the asteroid of kind of like, I don't know, I don't know what the asteroid is. The, the metaphor, the analogy may, yeah. may not hold, but you know. But at some point, we're going to sort of. Sh- it's going to be a shakeout, and we're going to end up finding. We end up gravitating towards modes of interactions that make us happier. Yeah, I totally agree with that, and I also think that you should read a piece that uh, Tim Ferriss wrote mm-hmm. about dealing with that exact thing. His, I mean, uh, I, I, his ten ways of dealing with uh, with, uh, with with haters. Yes, that's was, the one. It was brilliant. I've yeah. passed it around to everybody. Tim is. You know, Tim is a great example of everything we're talking about here, right? Loads of people hate on Tim, um, in part because he's super successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and in part of his success is just him. I mean, it's the, it's the cult of Tim. But you meet Tim, and he's this awesome guy. He's amazing. He is smart, and he is, um, he is empathetic, and he is, um, uh, he is uh, he's a good listener. He's a totally decent guy. I mean, you know, the fact, you, you look at him, and you sort, of, you, you sort of like, he's ballroom dancing, and he's got this hardwood floor, and he's got these... Umpteen months on the on the bestseller list, and he's got to be a douchebag. And then you meet him, and he's just not. He's not. We're having dinner tonight, as a matter of fact. But yeah. he, I feel like he's he's threatening to a lot of people in the sense they're like, "What the fuck's that guy's problem? How come you know?" Because he he's a guy that 
he'll see a thing and he'll go, oh, well, I'm just going to go figure that out. And then he figures it out. Yeah. And, he, you know, he's not braggy about it, but he's like, here's what I did. You know, take it or leave it. So I so um, in your show notes, you should you should link to that post for those who haven't haven't read it because I I, I think that um, you know uh, his advice to dealing with haters, which really encompasses a lot of things we we, we talked about uh, so far, um, is you know if you if you just read it and and remember two of the ten. You will be a happier person. <laughs> you know what's going to happen now is that now we're going to get the hate tweets that are like, Chris Evans and Chris Anderson are just complaining about the internet. Like, that's not the point of the oh, internet. Shit. Was like, oh no, I take it all back. Oh my God, I'm so internet. sorry. Me too. Please, I think please, I internet. about the web. Please, web. I love you, web. <laughs> I love you, web. I love you, the web. Yeah. Um, I just read a fascinating uh, sort of breakdown of, uh, how, you know, like why web conventions are what they are and just the sort of. Not necessarily arbitrary, but just sort of like, oh, you know, the forward slashes aren't really necessary. They were just to sort of divide up. And, it's you know, like so many of these still are archaic things that we have in place just because, you know, Tim Berners-Lee and a bunch of other people were like, oh, we'll just make them this. So do you know people who are still typing WWW? Um, no. There are there are people out there who still type. There are people out there who still say WWW. Oh, really? I think those people include NPR anchors. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because NPR has like one of the slickest iPad apps that I've ever seen. They, they seem somewhat... The style technical. guide may not have gotten on board with the uh, W's not required. You know, I've, I've just... At least they don't say HTTP colon. It's colon. It's forward slash forward slash. I've been doing the, uh, the control um, uh, enter thing for so long that I just don't... It's, you know, like a lot of times I don't even type in. I just do, like, keyboard shortcuts. Well, I, have, I have weirdly found myself... that I used to mock people who typed URLs into Google. Uh-huh. And now I find I'm one of those. <laughs> I just, you know, I, 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 we're so lazy. I cannot be bothered to think about spelling or, or, or I can't, I can't be bothered to think, even remember. And I don't know how many neurons are required even to remember. I mean, what the URL was. I just sort of type some random text that's sort of more or less like it, and the magic happens. It's some. It's. Do, do, are we going to see some? I mean, I don't. Are we going to see some sort of change in, in, in domain addressing? I mean, or do you think we're stuck I mean, to I don't know. We're I mean, stuck to that for a while. I mean, that was that was a, a very you know ten years ago. There was the notion that you would have these kind of you know, you, 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 the, the, kind of the, this, the the super layer of domains. We I want to start. Buy. I want to start squatting on the super layer. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just. I I think what's happening is that is that you know thanks. I, I thank the iPhone for this because it's impossible to type on the iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you mistype. <laughs> you need something that sort of guesses at what you meant. Right. Corrects it. And, and, and basically, it's training us to sort of say, whatever. You know, sort of like, it's, it's kind of, it's, it was, uh, you know, uh, I, you know I, was, I was looking for restaurants and, you know, I, on Google Maps. And I was like, you know, it, it was, it was you know, the restaurant was like, you know, Amber on Yerba Buena in San Francisco Indian food. You know, that should have been the correct string. Right. And instead, I was like, you know, you know, you know. A M R E R San. It's probably a Q in there somewhere. San, and you know, it sort of got maybe maybe thirty percent of the letters right, and you know, half of the thing, and just sort of said, let it figure out. Yeah. And um, you know, magic happened, and it worked. Now, see, I like that. I like that idea of technology that is just uh, just kind of an exasperated butler, sort of like you're this ape trying to mash bread <laughs> at a toaster, and it's like, uh, here, I'll I'll get. Did you mean to toast this? You probably meant that. Exactly. Exactly. Now that is making us stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you know we're use, we're basically using computers in the cloud to be our external hard drives, yeah. and now to just correct stuff. I I still I still get insane when I see the your uh, contraction, yeah. your possessive. Yeah. 
mix and match, and so many people do it I, now. I know, I know, I know, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with this because so that Malcolm Gladwell had this sort of famous piece about you know, it must have been 15 years ago, uh, about disqualifying remarks. Um, and this is when somebody does something. This could be disqualifying action. So like like being rude to a waiter, or or um, or you know, or sort of you know, telling you that they're spiritual on first meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are the kind of things where you suddenly they're the proxies for every everything you need to know about this person is now revealed by the you know the way they the way they ordered. Um, and um, I used to think that your confusing your and your was absolutely disqualifying. <laughs> and, and I and now it's as you say it's so ubiquitous um, and comes from the smartest people and is clearly a kind of an artifact of keyboards rather than education. I'm kind of like okay. I'm just going to be a cool with this. Not so bad. You know, you, you, can, you can turn into strunk and white pretty easily. Right. And, and, you know, sort of like incorrect usage. You know, these are the, these are the 32 BC guys, mm-hmm. right? It's pedantry. And you just got to get over it. It's like, okay, it's not you. It's your keyboard. <laughs> it was a pain in the ass to go up to that apostrophe to create the contraction you are as opposed I'm to saying that tell you myself, have ownership of something. I tell myself it's about the apostrophe. Not... <laughs> do, you, do you like... Uh... Because in the in, like one of the first sentences of the free book, you're referencing Monty Python. Yeah. So are you are you a big comedy fan in, in that sense? Uh, no, and I did not know who Bill Hicks was. I've revealed myself. Um, you know, uh, n- no, not 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 really. Um, uh, you know, it's been interesting. I've been you know now that I've got kids, I've been sort of bringing out movies that I thought were very funny from my childhood and introducing them to my kids, and they just sort of stare at them. Serpico, not a funny movie. But I haven't tried that one, but um, I've yet to succeed. So I, um, Spinal Tap, what a freaking disaster that was. What? So you and I remember Spinal Tap as being awesome funny, right? Yes. When was the last time you've seen it? I saw it sometime within the last couple of years. Really? Yeah. Uh, uh, my kids, I mean, it's slow. It's slow, slow, slow. Um, it's too slow for them? Well, there's, I like one, it. there's only about three jokes in the whole, right? There's, there's 11. Right. There's the little Stonehenge. Um, and uh, there's probably another joke that I can't remember. There aren't a lot of jokes. Oh my god, I feel like that is so loaded. You know, it's it. I still, I still love that movie. Like when, when the manager says to David St. Hubbins' girlfriend that she dresses like an Australian's nightmare. That is hilarious to me. So, so that kind of went over their head. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, but, but you know, but, but, um, the, you mentioned Monty Python, and and I was really worried about Monty Python. Because um, I was like, oh my god, you know, I, I think of Monty Python as being a high density comedy. There's there's a, so much physical comedy in it though. And, and I I, th- I thought it would I thought it would work. Um, and then we so we started with the dead parrot sketch. Mm-hmm. Um, the dead parrot sketch. Um, first of all, um, one of the, my favorite lines from it is he joined the choir invisible. Is mm-hmm. not is yep. that actually in it? Uh, I th- thought it was because we went maybe there's two dead parrot sketches because the one we. The one we, we went looking for. Oh no 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 no. The polygon. It's a polygon. Oh, that's polygon. not that's that's it, not that's, that's not it, that's not in it. And so either I have sort of been been sort of riffing off dead parrot things as a child and invented the polygon line, or it's in a different version of it or whatever. But I was like, oh, well, there's this other funny part that's not in here. And, well, you know, they did they did a lot of uh, and now I mean I, I can't I'm sure I'm gonna get shit on for not remembering every line of the Dead Parrot sketch, but you know they did they did that live a lot as well. So maybe you heard a recording where they added stuff. I'm pretty sure they also did it in German. Um, like yeah. they did it in many languages. Well, so so so, so, so Monty Python worked better um, than 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 most, um, and and so I'm pretty you know that one did cross as I say. Uh, Spinal Tap definitely did not cross. I'm, I'm, my next test is Buck Rubansai. Do you think? Uh-huh. Do you think that'll work? Um, I, 
I remember as a kid being because uh, Buckaroo Banzai came out when I was in high school. Yeah, and I feel it was like '87, right? Eighty-six, eighty-seven. Uh, probably, maybe a little earlier. If that was the case, then I was, it was, I was, I was in, uh, around high school, and um, I remember Buckaroo not being as action-packed as I had wanted it to be, mm. and sort of feeling like. Wait, I don't understand. Who are these Rasta aliens? Like, and I feel like if I had been a few years older, I probably would have appreciated it more. Um, so, because, yeah. So I don't know if I don't know if, if if it's as. I mean, maybe they might like the alien. You know, just like like the alien part of it. Well, it, it needs to be pretty fast paced. Um, I wouldn't I, say. I, I, will, I will say this. Um, I can't see Peter Weller doing a kids show. Uh, Peter Weller is probably not my first choice for. No. A, Oh, welcome to learning with Peter Weller. Like, okay, get to it. Colors are okay. I get it. <laughs> and then you take Peter, please. Like, so I think he's maybe not the best uh, kids. It's not gonna win a Kids Choice Award, Peter Weller. Uh, so we uh, we tried um, Caddyshack, bit slow. Um, uh, um, Spaceballs, perfect for kids. Perfect for, for kid, kids. For kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, we did um, um, National Lampoon's uh, American Vacation. Wait, how old are your kids? Uh, from two to uh, to, to uh, thirteen. Okay. Um, so you know it's it's hard. The, the density is hard. Uh, Ghostbusters, um, not quite as successful as I'd hoped. Really? Yeah. The movie changed my life when I saw it in the theater. I, I but I was a little older. I think they found the special effects a little cheesy. That's, you know, and at the time, groundbreaking, groundbreaking special effects. Yeah, I know. Anyway, so it's, 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 it's again, you know, it's, when you're, when you're trying to remember what's, you asked about, about comedy, and, and um, you, you, I'm, you come back, back and ask these sort of fundamental questions about what was really funny or what was I just young mm-hmm. for. And so you, as you revisit these kind of things, you can, you can see the distinction. And uh, the simple answer is, is, that, uh, is that Monty Python, I think, passes the test of time. Mm-hmm. It still works. Um, but most of the other stuff that I thought was hilarious didn't. Didn't, didn't say that there's time for kids. Yeah. Damn it. I don't have any kids yet, so uh, that, that's what I have to look forward to when I'm like, God damn it, Caddyshack is hilarious. What is wrong with you? You're not my son. I'm going to get mad at some poor kid. Yeah, it was very risky. When you, your, your treasured you know, cultural artifacts from your youth, when you expose it to your children, you just, yeah, they can shit on your on your on your on your on your on your 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 childhood. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there was also with Caddyshack too. There was it was sort of part of the culture. That movie kind of came out of the culture of the '80s as well, and so maybe there was maybe there it was tied to it in some way that way. I don't know, but I still will watch that movie and quote it 150 times. Um, how do you manage your time? How the fuck do you manage? How do you run? How do you first of all? How do you have you know, community of of uh, UAVs. Uh, you write books. You know, you run a, an enormous magazine. You have kids. How, like when you wake up each day, how do you know what to do? Do you just kind of whatever's in front of you, or do you actually have a plan? Um, yeah, I have a plan. Uh, you know, so uh, um, three or four hundred emails a day. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 a lot. Um, uh, the, you know, the, the simple answer is that um, the only way you can do lots of things is if you sort of delegate. Mm-hmm. Um, so at Wired, we've got terrific, you know, I've been doing this nine years. I can't believe it, but I've been doing this nine years. So at this point, we have, you know, quite a good system in place. Um, and, you know, delegation is, and, and is, 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 is doing well. And so, you know, functionally, I, 
you know, I, I uh, my my input is at the kind of you know the commissioning stage. What stories will we run? What we won't? And then at the end, the Q and A, sort of reviewing all the spreads and, and and reading things for the last time. And in between, I kind of let people do their own thing, um, which is. You know, it, it's I suppose on some levels empowering, on other sides it's neglectful. But it, but it is, but it's just sort of the way it works, and every editor w works differently. Um, when it comes to um, the community management stuff, you know the, um, you know the, uh, you, you know you can't take your eye off that for a minute. And I and, and, and you know we use um, super geeky answer, but um, we're we're on the Ning network. Yeah 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 yeah. And the Ning network is as much as I love it, it doesn't have uh, enough tools to really let community management work right. So. Um, you know, there's not enough granularity uh, we, of, of, of rights that we can give uh, individual members, you know, from moderator to mm -hmm. all the way to admin, et cetera. And so, and so I'm, I'm kind of doing more than I need to. I, we don't have badges where you can give people sort of, you know, noob ninja. Right, right, right. Like that. So we don't have these, these positive incentives. Um, it's just, you know, it needs to kind of get one level further in terms of sort of, you know, social network you know, community management tools, mm -hmm. and then I think I'll be able to delegate a lot more of the of the of the work to the, of community management to the community itself. Um, then you know, the spin out of that community is a company um, uh, where, where we make um, you know autopilots and UAVs and quadcopters and all this kind of stuff. And that right now is in a really high intensity CEO kind of role um, where you know we're going to production. We just got to pick and place machines, so we're making printed circuit boards and we're doing inventory management. And this is really kind of entrepreneur. This is my entrepreneur hat on right now. And um, they, you know, right now I'm super needed to you know kind of you know make decisions and pick products and kind of create our, you know, set up our dev teams and our collaboration network. And I, I suspect that'll last, you know, for another year or so before that kind of starts to run itself. And um, then there's, you know, speaking in books. And my next book isn't due until um, until September of next year. Um, and fortunately, the next book, you know, you know, is built on this sort of new industrial revolution model, this, this, this uh, atoms are the new bits, is kind of an outgrowth of the work I'm doing already. Um, so my Life is kind of, in some sense, the research uh, for the book, but that's going to get crazy. In um, you know, starting at, um, kind of the end of this year, mm -hmm. I'm going to have to focus and you know, Starbucks with the headsets on, etc. Um, and then, and then weekends are for kids, um, and I try to, I try to sort of spend some time there, but I'm probably neglecting them on some level. <laughs> um, don't sleep a lot. Um, don't watch television ever. No television is uh, my my productivity secret. No, um, uh, uh, no, um, no, no sports. No watching sports. Well, sports. I mean, like you, I, I don't, I don't understand anything about sports. So I, I just, even if I had all the time in the world, I still, I, I never, I never watched it, even when I had time. I, I, I don't get know, it. I, it's Clay Shirky's book um, about cognitive surplus is it really starts with the anecdote of like, you know, if you took the time that people invest watching television and you just Applied it to something else, you'd change the world. I mean, you'd solve all the world's problems <laughs> right there by putting, you know, by putting those brain cells to, you know, to work. Now, obviously, we watch television because they satisfy some sort of, you know, need to veg out or to be entertained or to or to you know, to not necessarily be actively participating. But, you know, the truth is we've got a lot of spare cycles, and um, you know, I don't mean I don't want to be you know the anti TV guy. I think I think this is the golden age of television. It's never been any, any better than it is right now, and it is increasingly hard to resist watching te um, television. Um, but that is my one discipline. I don't, I will not watch television. And while, you know, when, when it's the final episode of Lost, I am, you know, getting a little bit of a leg up on the rest of, on the rest of the world by working <laughs> my ass off. And the Super Bowl is a two, three hours, and the Oscars are another three hours that I get competitive advantage. And I, so that's my little trick. That's good. When you're, I actually, I sold a book and I have to start writing it soon. 
but it's not due till the end of the year. What do you use for? Do you use any particular software to call your ideas, or do you? Uh... I, you know, I I I'm um I'm a big fan of um of, of outlines. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, basically, um, you know, building the outline and fleshing out the outline, populating the outline, revising the outline is, 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 is crucial. And I, I, I use this ancient bit of software on, on, a, on a PC called Action Outline, which is, um, which is uh, I, you know, I, I don't know whether it's good or bad, but it, 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 it works um, uh, for me. Um, I, I tried using Word's outline function. Incredible complexity. Um, so, so, so I, I mean, my method is is basically to um, um, to you know always be gathering string, mm-hmm. um, put the string in the right place, and that place is in an outline in the right place. And you know, eventually you'll find that this. What I'll find is that I'll, you know you start with an outline, mm-hmm. and then you start putting in string, you know, little link, links and things you've read and you know, little bits you've written and, and that kind of stuff. And you'll find that this entire branches of the outline that are they're at, empty, and that's telling you that you thought this was a rich seam, but it's not. Oh, that's really interesting. So, you know, yeah, just just, 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 just uh, constantly revise, populate. Um, if something's looking empty, ask yourself, why is this empty? <laughs> because I am empty. <laughs> well, is, this, is, your book, is your book coming entirely out of your own head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy it's, shit. It's kind of a... Um, it, it, it's sort of branching off. I wrote the productivity piece for you guys yeah, yeah. last year, and, and it's sort of branching off that idea in that I feel like um, n- nerds in general have a very specific way for how they approach things. And so the idea is, you know, here's how I, with this kind of um, obsessive brain, here's how I tried to tweak it to sort of aim its its you know it's beam for good as opposed to you know i mean listen i'm not perfect like you know we you and i just obsess for 15 minutes over negative tweets you know like obviously if i could you, you it, totally got to edit that stuff down that was, that was a real creed de coeur no 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 no. i i think i think i think it's good i think it's good because it's it's human and it's it's something that you know i mean it's not it's not like I don't feel like we're totally serious about it. Like to a to a degree, it's sort of like oh, you shake your fist. Mm. Ultimately, we're smart enough to know, like, all right, it it is silly, you know. Like I still appreciate the web, and I still appreciate the positive things that people say. But I mean, it, it's just sort of that idea of, this sort of the idea of, you know, if you have a nerd brain, this is a good. Th- these are some tricks that I use to try to organize my time, organize my emotions, organize my health. You know, like think. What, what's think, the title? It's called the Nerdist Way. I have to ask, how do you get off calling yourself a nerd? You know, I get that question asked a lot, and I and There's I no way you're a nerd. I, I I get that question a lot, and 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 it is a it's a fair question. Um, I've been a technophile my entire life. That doesn't make you a nerd. It does. Uh, I obsessed over computers. I got my first computer in 1981. I played D&D. I, I, I have chess trophies. This is the, I know this is the most boring conversation you ever have. No. But, but everything you've said is geek. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying nerd versus geek. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You're a geek. You're not a nerd. Geeks, everyone has their own definition, but I'm just going to have to do it here. Yes. Um, geeks are um, uh, obsessive, but um, may have social skills, may have, may have you know, uh, uh, they, they, they can be cool. Nerds are typically um, uh, lacking. In social skills. <laughs> See, this is a semantic issue because I, I think the comparison, the vocabulary that I use in my head is nerd versus dweeb. Like, I look at dweebs and I go, the dweebs are the ones that don't have the social, 
they're the ones that you know swallow in the middle of sentences and and can't and sweat. But but back to geek. So you, so so why do you pick nerd versus geek? Um, because geek was not a popular word when I was. I mean, like nerd was a label that. Uh, Excuse me. Oh, that's all right. Sorry. That's okay. Nerd was a nerd was the word that was used when I was growing up to refer to me. Um, you know, in computer club or chess club or whatever. We didn't say geek in the early eighties. You yeah. know, like there was no. Nerd, nerd now is it's it's almost a weird badge of honor because it kind of says like oh you know you're thoughtful and you can make stuff and and but nerd in the 80s there was no irony behind it and it was just you're a nerd like I ne- I didn't hear the word geek a lot when I was a kid it was nerd like when Revenge of the Nerds came out like yeah. that movie I bonded with that movie so hard because it was a word so you okay. know I, I'm using it as, as it it was just it was just part of the vernacular of, of where I grew up and the social circle that I was in in in, in grade school okay but what, what and it's, there must be some pretension in using it today is it is it that you're is it that is it, is it sort of uh, uh, you know um, uh, mock humility I think it's I think it's kind of like no, I think it's an. I think it's taking ownership of you know something that was basically at the time is kind of um, uh, emotionally disruptive. You know, so like it's, it's, so it's retro. It's kind of an, you know the Atari the Atari uh, uh, generation um, designation. I think it's like I think it's like the vagina monologues. I'm gonna take back the word vag- okay. pussy or okay. whatever. It's sort of like okay. I'm taking it back. Like it was assigned to me when I was a kid. I had no control okay. over that. Now I'm taking it back because. You know, people who grew up that way, a lot of them now run a lot of things. And so it's I see it as sort of empowering in a way. I'm not going to go as far as compare it to the other N-word, but uh, but I will say there is a sense of I, su- I genuinely suffered for this word when I was growing up. I'm kind of taking it back oh, okay. and trying to make something so, productive so, out of it. So, so just just to confirm the, the sort of the geek nerd division um, that that uh, that I, I see you see as a nerd dweeb. I see it as nerd dweeb D- division. Yeah. And um, if I'm your publisher, mm-hmm. we're trying to sell some books here. Yeah. Um, you want people to, um, to 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 resonate. You want them to sort of self-define. Sure. Yeah. And there's enough people out there that self-define as nerd because I would have thought that 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 that. Lots of people self-define as geeks, but few people self-define as nerds. Other people define them as nerds. I see. I see the word nerd thrown around more than I see geek. Now, my my well, like one of my best friends, Will Wheaton, he uses geek. Right. And but you know, and Will is always four steps ahead of me and most other people. So then I kind of feel like, oh well, maybe he's got it right and I don't. I'm just I, I'm just using it for my personal experience. And nerdist happens to be the name of my website and the podcast. Well, and everything. You've got the domain, so go with it. Yeah. And yeah. so <laughs> and so you know, I, I'm using when I say the nerdist way, it's more assigning to me specifically as, as that point of view. You know, rather than just you know saying like. The Nerd Recipe Cookbook. Is there any uh, television celebrity outside yourself who would self-define as a nerd? I think a lot of people use the term. I mean, and I, I'm sure I'm like you know, like you you asked me the question. I'm sure a lot of people feel that I use it improperly when referring to myself. I think a lot of people use it because um, you know, I think a lot of actors use it. Like hot, hot girl actors use it all the time. Oh, I'm just a nerd. You know, like, no, don't confuse the fact that you're so hot that people have difficulty talking to you as you being a nerd. They're just, people are socially awkward around you, you know. But a lot a lot of actors use the term nerd. Really? Yeah. I'm just a big nerd. They'll say, I'm just a big nerd. So that's totally faux humility, right? Yeah, yeah I, think it, I think it probably that's why I, is. That's why, that's why I'm I, 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 So I, there's lots of fake self-definition as nerd, but is there well, any authentic, I are there any no, real nerds? I don't know if it's fake. I don't know if it's fake because I feel like... 
I feel like, you know, because we're all human, everyone probably feels awkward. And so they, you know, they to a degree. And so maybe that's just a word that they use to kind of say, like, hey, I'm just a human being. I'm a big nerd. Okay. Okay. You know, I think. But I'm sure there is, I'm sure there is, I'm sure there is some faux humility as well. I, I, no, I, I can totally see how sort of cool, balanced people can sort of embrace their inner nerd. Right. But do any real nerds embrace their inner nerd? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know, because sadly, I think what we're learning is that a lot of the people in the early 80s that we were like, look at those nerds, actually had Asperger's. And it just wasn't something that was defined back then. (laughs) So, you know, it's, and and I don't mean that in joke, I mean, literally, I think that happened, where a lot of people were like, you know, back of the line, nerd. It was some poor kid who actually had yeah. a syndrome. I, 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 um, and a lot of those kids were my friends. I'd always hoped that I'd be sort of, you know, professionally diagnosed with, uh, with Asperger's because it would, it would forgive all <laughs> sorts of sins. It's like, I'm not a jerk. I'm just got Asperger's. <laughs> well, there's also, some, there's also something to, you know, taking, taking the nerd word back now is that it's just sort of saying like, hey, you know, you can be proud of the fact that you obsess about things. You can be proud of the fact that you're not stupid. You can be proud of the fact that you're sensitive and, you know, thoughtful. Like, you can be proud of those things. I, I do think we have a perfectly adequate word for that, and it's geek. But I'll, I'll, I'll let that one go. We're, we're divided in the nerd geek debate, which, by the way, will rage on long after oh. this podcast is over. Uh, absolutely. Well, we, we, um, we have a site called Geek Dad. Uh-huh. Yes, uh, Geek Dad, and he yeah, did stuff and, and for the Wild TV Will show. Wooten is a Geek Dad. If yes, I'm he not, is. Not, not, not yes, mistaken. he is. Geek Dad is wonderful, by the way. Yeah. So Ken Denmead is the editor, and there's another classic, classic case of delegation. I, I, uh, I, I started it on the hope that I could. Um, I wanted to do geeky things, and I wanted to be a good father. And I thought, well, maybe you know, there's just not enough things that are fun for me and fun for them. And um, and so we'd start this, and I uh, got about sort of like a week into it. And realized that I was actually not that interested in <laughs> inventing projects for my children to reject. Um, uh, but fortunately, there's lots of other people out there who are really good, good, you know, who really do get the balance right mm-hmm. and actually do spend their their, their 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 time doing fantastic projects with their kids who are receptive and um, and, uh, and 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 participate. Um, and <laughs> And uh, you know, you, you, for every geek dad, you need you need a a a a, a, a geek kid. Mm-hmm. Geek dads with with cool kids, cool dads with geek kids. That you know, that's that, that's, that, that, that's the show family ties right there. Yeah. The Alex P. Keaton. There you go. Yes. So anyway, so Ken has found a whole bunch of people who get the balance exactly right. And um, uh, my uh, my my point was only that uh, that uh, the geek dad designation was all about the sort of you know the the. Um, 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 Unnecessary and excessive um, um, fascination with something, be it science, technology, mm-hmm. or just or just projects that, that that allow you to do things that are um, uh, that really can't be explained in any other way. How how did you spend two days building a cardboard rocket ship? Because we could. Yeah. You know, it's if, if you know, these are all the questions that sort of fail the test of why. Yeah, well, and and also a lot of stuff you see at Maker Fair, like that R two D two club is ridiculously amazing. Uh, absolutely. So that is that is that is my that's the beautiful the beautiful moment where you where you, where you, where you kind of went down the rabbit hole and and, and 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 got obsessed with something that made no sense and yet gave you undue pleasure, complete joy, and and that is that is. You know, when, when I talk about the Nerdist and the Nerdist community, I think of them as creative obsessives. Like, they're not just, you know, they're not just obsessive. They're people who also contribute as well as obsess, you know? And, th- and I feel like that's a really nice crossroads. And I think, that, you know, the only, the, the golden rule is never ask why. 
<laughs> I don't think we know why exactly. You know, like it's, it could be years of therapy trying to figure well, all that you, out. Don't make me confront the reality that it's it's <laughs> stupid and I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I don't want to take up any more of your time. You have donated uh, an enormous amount of time to me, um, but this has been a wonderful chat, and uh, so people can find you at uh, DIY Drones. No, they can I, find you at http colon forward slash forward slash www.diydrones. I don't know whether I set up the domain. I'm not even sure www works. I mean, <laughs> oh really? You just you just it's a diy drones. No. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So so you know um, uh, you know you can you can you can follow the the nerd side of me at yeah. diy drones. You can probably follow the geek side of me at. At, um, on my Twitter feed, and you can follow the professional, fully evolved, uh, and, and, and magazine editor guy. And well. by the way, you, there, because you, you are involved with Ted a lot, but there is also another Ted, Chris Anderson. There, there is another Ted, Chris Anderson. Um, you know, many parallels. Um, Wired was founded at Ted. I speak at Ted. Uh, Chris is a, a friend. Uh, he's British. I'm British um, by birth, and um, uh, you know, he was used to be a magazine editor, and it's. Uh, we decided that um, that uh, this is a case where we both benefit from the confusion that people give me credit for his triumphs and yeah, because someone recently was like, "Did you see Chris Anderson was really mad at Sarah Silverman because of what she did at Ted?" And I was like, "Really? I don't." And they say, "Yeah, he tweeted about it." I'm like, "That doesn't." That's... I can't imagine the Chris Anderson that I know doing that. And then I realized, oh, it's a different Chris Anderson. Yeah, mostly it's positive. It's it's it's, it's largely <laughs> one plus one equals three, and you know, I, occasionally we have moments where my uh, where my uh, my my. Uh, my failures, um, you know, cast, uh, you know, diminish the Chris Anderson brand. But by and large, <laughs> by and large, I, I get I get credit for starting. Ted have you thought about coming together to form a unified Chris Anderson? We have we have cons- considered M and A, but uh, the uh, the five children, I think, were a deal breaker. I will have to say that it is awesome that you both. Uh, I mean, like that would be a good that would be a good union. The the other Chris Hardwick out there oh, is is. Oh. Yeah, he's a Rubik's Cube champion. I don't know how to... I mean, I guess I could integrate that Division somehow. Labor. You think that's what it is? Podcast, Rubik's Cube, you know, no confusion. <laughs> the other Chris Hardwick solves, like, you know, like, thousand-sided theoretical cubes mathematically in addition to, you know, blindfolded with one hand on a... On how a, does this not totally enhance your brand? You know, it does, because people are... people. I, I'll get tweets every once in a while where people are like, hey, Rubik's Cube, nice. And I kind of let it slide. I'm like, you know what? Absolutely. I'm not going to go out of my way to tell them that I'm not that guy. Well, there's, there's, there's a not? third Chris Anderson who's a professional basketball player, and that just confuses people. Yeah, that confuses people, because then you wouldn't even watch your own games, because that's boring. I'd be fuzzy on the concept. They'd, you know, they'd, I don't know. They, they only have to meet me, and then it's all solved. <laughs> well, thank you very much for uh, letting me come in uh, and chat with you at Wired, Chris yeah, Anderson. Total pleasure, Chris. All right. Now leaving Nerdist.com. <laughs> Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.